0: Hackbox talk and this is horse stories with a purpose who are we we are equine educators but we are owners we are judges we are competitors we are coaches we are volunteers we are moms we are horse owners just like you and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose To extension Horses' Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heiney, with Oklahoma State University, and today's guest, our returning guest to the program, is Dr. Diane McFarlane, um, who is a DVM and PhD here at uh, OSU. She is also a diplomat in the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine and a world renowned leader in laminitis research. And it's getting to be springtime, so that's laminitis time. So welcome to the program, Diane, and let's get started. Thank you. Good to be back. So, um, Diane, if you could give us a little background just in in laminitis. You know, when I was a a kid growing up, we always kind of thought about laminitis as something that happened when horses got into the grain bin. Um, And obviously, we know, locked the grain bin up. Or horses that, if they've been really sick... Um, they can get laminitis, but now it seems like we hear about horses getting laminitis all the time. So what's going on?
1: Well, it's true. For a long time, <clears throat> laminitis and all the research around laminitis focused on horses that foundered after they twisted their bowel or retained their placenta or, as you said, got into the grain and grain overloaded. And that was really the, um, the cases that you heard about. However, the most common type of laminitis, and it actually has been for a long time, but it's been recognized more recently, the most common type is the horse that founders either out on the pasture or the horse that founders because they are very obese. And I think the difference is that we have more obese animals now that aren't working as hard as they used to be back, let's say 50 years ago, And so we're seeing more cases of this, but this type of laminitis has always been there. We call this endocrinopathic laminitis, which is a big word, um, but it's basically laminitis secondary to metabolism or hormone abnormality. And it all goes back to the fact that these horses are obese. They're getting a lot of sugar in their diet. That sugar is causing the hormone insulin to go high. And that's actually the trigger for them to develop laminitis. The other thing that's a little different about laminitis that is secondary to hormones compared to the laminitis secondary to twisted bowel is that the horses are not, at least at first, as obviously lame. So when you have that colic horse or the horse that retains their placenta and they founder, they will rock back, all their weight goes on their butt, they'll start sweating, their heart rate goes up, and they look like they are in excruciating pain. It's very obvious, everybody could tell, that their feet are sore. In the horse that becomes um, laminitic, either in the pasture or because of the obesity that they have, often it's a subtle change, at least to start. Maybe they're slow to come up to get their their meal at night. You might notice when you go to turn them that they pivot very slowly. Um, You might think something else is wrong. A lot of times you might say, oh, I think they're a little colicky or maybe they have a fever. But in fact, what it is, is that their feet are sore. It's just not as Overt or obvious to the horse owners.
0: So we've um, always been familiar with the idea that ponies are really, really susceptible um, to laminitis. And in fact, you know, the ponies I had as a kid had uh, laminitis, and it was, you know, maybe almost a given that this is a, a problem that you have to worry about. It, but it happens in other horses too. Or why are ponies just so likely to have this issue?
1: So it is the same disease that we see in ponies, and we see it in horses as well. Ponies are very predisposed to getting chunky, shall we say. They can um, become overweight much more easily because it takes less to feed a pony, and ponies are bred to be very, very thrifty. When you think about where ponies are in the wild, Uh, Sometimes they're out on the beach, there's not a lot to eat in the beach, um, necessarily. Uh, They can live in areas that are deserty, so they're very thrifty, and so it doesn't take much to keep a pony fed, and then when we put them on our lush, beautiful green pastures and call them up every night for a nice grain meal, um, it's very easy to get those ponies overweight and what we call insulin-dysregulated, so they become more susceptible to laminitis the horses these days are also becoming um, more obese. And I don't know if you've had a good podcast on obesity in your animals, in horses, but um, now we believe that probably 40 to 50 percent of the horses out there are actually overweight. It's about the same in dogs, cats, humans, and horses. Um, Unfortunately, all the populations have tended to have a little bit more of a sugary fast food type diet and less exercise and so in people we see different types of diseases like heart disease and in our horses what we see most commonly is laminitis as our big problem associated with this.
0: Well and I know when I uh, talk about you know looking at the body condition of your horse and monitoring their weight People so readily recognize a thin horse as this is undesirable and something that we don't want. But we often fail to recognize how much of a welfare concern it really is
1: if an animal is obese. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. I don't mind at all a horse that's under ideal weight. Um, That is fine. We certainly don't want a great, you know, a body condition score of one or even two. But I would much rather see a too thin than too heavy horse. Um, that puts the pressure not only on their feet with laminitis, but on their joints, on their reproductive system, on everything. So you definitely are not doing your horses any favor or loving them better when you overfeed them. It is a problem.
0: So we talked a little bit about the, the thrifty genotype, and, and ponies fall into that category from uh, how they were bred. But certainly other horses tend to fall into that uh, thrifty genotype as well. Um, so maybe talk about who those guys are, and even if your horse doesn't fit the model, they may still actually
1: be at risk. Absolutely. So any horse that um, was bred to have kind of a high survival instinct rather than a performance type insti- uh, performance type profile is going to probably be thrifty. And what I mean by that is mustangs. Mustangs are very thrifty. Um, Spanish bred horses, so our Pasos, our Peruvian Pasos, our Pasofinos, um, those are really at risk. Another level perhaps would be our Morgan horses. They tend to run um, to obesity. Certain lines of Arabians, not all of the Arabians, but certain lines of them are very prone to becoming overweight, as are certain lines of quarter horses. And so within some of the bigger breeds, you'll see some that tend to stay thinner and some, some that tend to put on weight easy. But any breed, and warm bloods would be another one that are, have a tendency to um, become obese easily. But any breed can do it, and so really it is something that every horse owner needs to be aware of and needs to be paying attention, body condition score your animal, and as the grass comes on, you need to cut back on the other food because you feed them in the winter because there's not grass. You don't need to necessarily double, them, double down on the amount that they're eating.
0: Now, typically, you know, when I'm recommending or talking about spring and pasture, we try to be pretty conservative for the pasture's sake and always say, don't turn the horse out until your grass is um, so high. Um, Otherwise, you tend to kill the grass, to be really honest. Um, Is there any uh, health benefits for the horse if we delay turning them out?
1: If the horse hasn't been out on pasture, it's a good idea to turn them out for small periods of time initially and that probably also will help benefit the pasture to let because they just like um, in people horses have bacteria that live in their GI tract and that bacteria is crucial for good health and if you switch diets really rapidly that bacteria is not going to be the population that you need to have good digestion of grass and you can give them um, colic and as well if the pastures very Um, full of sugars you can have them have a influx of sugar like a big candy meal and that can lead to having them founder. So putting them out a little bit at a time as the fresh grass is coming on is a good idea for them to acclimate. Holding them back for a certain amount of time until a specific date I'm unaware of any value to that. So, um, But I would try to get them out there maybe an hour or two. Initially, uh, before you turn them out full time. So
0: um, we're going to hopefully not go too far off the, the rails here, but um, the type of pasture probably is going to influence a little bit of how risky it is. Um, so when we're talking about sugar, I mean we want owners to know hey that your horse still might be at risk even if you're not like here's some sugar cubes right so that's not what we're talking about table sugar um, it is really the composition of the grass and what might make the horse at risk
1: yes absolutely and so um, i'm not a pasture expert so we're not going to go very far down this field but when you think about carbohydrates in the food that the animals eat. Certain foods have more fiber and certain foods have more water-soluble sugars. And that's just the same as with us. If Just go to the cereal aisle and read some boxes and you'll see what I mean by that. Um, So it's just that grass uh, tends to be higher in sugars than some of the other things that we may be feeding our horses. And so you just need to be aware that it is that easily absorbed sugar that makes the pancreas release insulin, and it's insulin that is the trigger for laminitis. So that's uh, Pasture-associated
0: or, or spring laminitis. Um, now, there might be a couple things that are sort of even, interweaving together here. So certainly the grass is going from dormant and high fiber, nothing much going on, to the grass now has more sugar content to it. Um, and again, that's that's what grass does, right? Until it gets tall and older, it's going to have a lot of highly nutritive things in it. that horses love to eat. So we have the grass being a little bit um, risky. The horse has been in maybe, and now the yum springy grass is gobble time. Is there anything hormonally happening to the horse that coincides with grass that we need to be worried about?
1: In the spring, not so much. What we are worried about in the spring is what does the horse look like when it's going out in pasture and I'll go back to your ponies. Certainly putting a big fat pony out on a pasture suddenly is riskier than putting a lean thin performance quarter horse or thoroughbred out on the pasture um, because that animal just isn't as likely to have um, a big hormone rush when they get the sugar in the fall is when the hormones of the horse put them at greatest risk of laminitis. And that goes back to several weeks ago when we talked about Cushing's disease or PPID. The hormones that are high in those horses actually make it worse um, for the horses when they are um, then fed a diet high in sugars and and, um, easily absorbed carbohydrates. So in that case, you have a couple of things coming together. You have the horse that has an underlying endocrine disease, that's PPID, a horse that's maybe a little bit overweight, a metabolic problem, and then the diet that's very high in sugar. And that's the trio that you really need to be worried about. But that tends to be the worst in the fall rather than the spring.
0: And the grass is again, in the fall not helping us out there right. Either. <laughs> so in Oklahoma,
1: particularly, you've just gotten through all that harsh sun and heat, and you get that fall kind of um, breakthrough of nice fresh grass. And so that is around here going to be the second time of the year where we're going to see a lot of pasture associated and hormonally induced laminitis.
0: Right, and for folks that are listening from other states, um, in Oklahoma we have cool season and warm season grasses, and so we'll see our grass um, that grows early in the spring and kind of a little bit through the winter will stay nice and green, and then we have a separate type of grass that actually grows when it gets hot, Um, and it's that uh, cool season grass that's really the, the bigger risk factor for these guys.
1: Well, I'll defer to my nutritionist, Dr. Heine, for that answer. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's true. (laughs) Very good.
0: (laughs) So, so, but we want people to know that doesn't mean that you can just forget about it with with some of these high-risk horses. So let's talk, I want to go back to this obesity piece. because it's probably really important for people to realize that, that fat isn't just like a cushion holding the heat in. Fat is a an active tissue on that horse. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And this is something we didn't know a long time ago either. For the longest time, we thought it was just a good storage place to put some calories if you needed it later. But now we know that fat actually produces hormones and inflammatory molecules that are released. So having a large amount of fat, particularly certain regions of the body, is actually inflammatory. And that inflammation then makes it harder for your body to appropriately use the calories the way it should. And it puts extra pressure on certain organs. And so it makes it harder for your body to take sugar out of the blood and put it into your muscles and burn that. It makes it harder for the animal to thermoregulate it makes it harder for the animal to be bred it makes it more likely that that animal will have inflammation in their joints but it certainly it is an inflammatory uh, tissue and so it is more than just weight on the horse it has a lot of ne- negative implications and so it's really important to try to keep that body condition score around that four ideal maybe a little bit towards five but once you get over five you're actually um, physically, um, it's physically detrimental once you're getting over five.
0: Now, I had promised we weren't going to go deep sea diving here on some of the, the details of laminitis. Oh, but, but I did the want, most fun. Right, I wanted to, get, I wanted to scuba dive or uh, do a little snorkeling here um, in our depths of science. So you'd mentioned the, the regional fat. And we always talk about horses are at more risk for laminitis, have this regional adiposity. So what is it? About specific parts and regions of the horse and those fat um, deposits that make them more at risk?
1: Okay, so that is a question as asked that we don't quite have the answer to. We do know that horses that have big crusty necks tend to be more likely to founder. It's, so it's not just the whole body's overweight, but this regional adiposity. In people, we know that central adiposity is more likely to cause you to have problems with metabolic disease, and in people that's usually your heart, not your hooves, because we don't have those. Um, But we know that that central adiposity is the most dangerous type of fat. And in people, we know for sure that it's because that's the fat depot that makes the most inflammatory mediators. And we've looked at that in the horse, and we don't have good solid evidence to say that that is the type of fat that is making the most inflammation, but that is our assumption. Some fat is more inflammatory than other fat, and so that's what we're trying to avoid.
0: So why couldn't we do something uh,
1: radical and crazy? Are we just... going to liposuction yes. our horses? <laughs> <laughs> I just strip it right off. I <laughs> saw it coming. There are studies about liposuction in people, and to be honest, I haven't read those studies very closely, um, but that doesn't appear to be the answer. Um, our better answer is good diet and exercise for our horses rather than liposuction, but oh, yes. it hasn't been studied directly, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so I want
0: to, um, we're going to still uh, go snorkeling here a little bit more. Okay. It's connection between these horses that are, that are obese. We have a connection to insulin. How do we get from high insulin to my feet
1: hurt? So that is the question of the day, and that is the question that a whole lot of research is ongoing to try to figure out. We know absolutely, and we didn't know this 15, 20 years ago, absolutely insulin is the trigger for laminitis. You give a perfectly normal horse or pony who has no problems in their feet, you put them on insulin for two days, they will founder, and nothing was wrong with them before, We actually now have some antibodies that have been being studied that can block certain receptors that insulin may work through, and we can help reduce the risk of of laminitis in those horses. What we don't actually know yet is how that insulin triggers the change in the foot. We know what the change in the foot is. What happens is, if you think of the horse's foot, its job is to connect the hoof wall to the the coffin bone and it does this by um, inner connections called lamina um, and these lamelli or lamina have um, little adherence molecules that stick them together so they're like super glued together but they also grow what happens in insulin and you can see this within a day of putting a normal horse on insulin is that these connections get all stretched out so think about your sweatpants how sometimes that waistband might stretch out and then it doesn't have any kind of a secure hold anymore. That's what happens in the foot. These connections get stretched and then they're not holding anymore. And if you don't have that hoof wall connected tightly to the coffin bone, it's gonna either rotate the coffin bone or sink the coffin bone and that's what happens. So we know that insulin triggers the mechanical failure of the secondary lamellae in the foot, which are those connective interdigitating structures that hold the hoof wall onto the coffin bone but we don't know exactly how the insulin does it we don't know if it changes the blood flow we don't know if it binds to its receptor like a key into a lock a receptor that triggers some change in how those cells are functioning we don't know if it triggers another event and it's an indirect signal to cause it. So in other words, another hormone that actually has an effect or a change in how energy is used in the foot. We don't have that last piece of the answer. We do know that if we can keep the insulin low, we can keep the horses safe.
0: So in, with some of these horses, rather than our concussive founder or laminitis or the um, these horses, it seems like these can... come and and go a little bit. So I'm going to maybe play on your sweatpants analogy. So is it like, uh, so sometimes you get failure where the elastic is shot, but then in other cases, if you wash the clothes, right, the elasticity comes back. So is that kind of the same idea that we haven't gone to complete failure and it can repair itself a little bit in some of these guys?
1: So... Yeah, we're probably going to be stretching this analogy a bit. <laughs> 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 I thought it was first trying. Um, So, yes, I think that you can get where those connections become so abnormal that they just can't um, reattach. So you don't get reattachment. You get a lot of structural change. But remember that the hoof is always growing. And so if you can support the foot and keep the top of the foot where the growth is coming from, from getting abnormal, you can um, sometimes get a complete repair of the foot. Most of the time, once you've got some damage in there, they're predisposed for more damage. Plus, you have a horse that's already got some often genetic predisposition to being very good at using its sugar and insulin. If you're thrifty, That means that you're very good at getting every calorie out of food. So that means when you get a little bit of grass, you get every piece of sugar out of it. And not only do you get all the sugar out of the food, you can get every piece of that sugar into your bloodstream and into your body to use. So in those horses, they're very good at making insulin.
0: So unfortunately, this, this extreme thriftiness, uh, this is a battle for horse owners. It, it, to me, it always seems easier to put weight on a horse than it is to pull it back off. Um, so what are, are there any great suggestions other than starving them, which comes with its own issues with behavior and boredom and your horse not being a very happy camper, Do we have medical ways to do this now, or what is the best attack for an owner that has a horse that's in those, hey,
1: I'm a 7 or 8 body condition score? So it is hard, and it's hard for horse owners to get weight off of horses, dog owners to get weight off of dogs, and people to get weight off themselves. And a lot of it has to do with it is something that takes huge commitment. And I think it is also something where you have to have some accountability, if you will, And what I suggest is for horses, we approach it as if we put our horse in Weight Watchers. So we are regularly taking their weight, we're writing down what they're getting to eat, we are following it along and we're reporting in. Um, So if our veterinarian is helping us with that, we are sending emails or um, text messages or Facebook postings to, to say where your horse is at that time. Diet is the key. And so it is super important that you watch what they eat. There are a few drugs that can help, um, but those are not going to replace diet and exercise. And if the feet are not sore, exercise is very helpful, not just to burn calories, but to improve how that horse can utilize uh, their um their glucose and their insulin response. So it will improve a horse on multiple ways as well as behaviorally to get them out and get some exercise. If you have a pasture and you can't turn the horse out in the pasture but you don't want to leave them up in the barn, you should look at things like good grazing muzzles that don't let them get to the grass but still give them a hobby. They'll spend all day trying to get that blade of grass up that hole in the muzzle and so it gives them something to do and gives them some exercise. You, If they are staying up in a stall a lot, certainly look at things that might be entertaining for them Um, some horses like big balls to push around a friend in the next stall Um, but it is problematic to remove a horse that has a strong drive to eat which is another part of being thrifty is that those horses want to eat more than other horses and so you do need to really work hard at it If you work very hard, you will be successful. There's some good work out of England where they took a group of horses that had been failing at losing weight, and they had them trailer in every, I think it was two weeks, and they gave them a diet. It was fairly extreme, um, but those horses lost weight. So it certainly can be done, but it takes a lot of dedication.
0: Yeah, and I've read a couple of weight loss studies too, especially with ponies that, oh my goodness, the level they had to restrict yes. intake um, on these guys was, was pretty substantive. Uh, but there was an interesting one, um, I can't remember which college that, that did this, uh, that looked at the owner's compliance um, and the ability to lose weight. And obviously, the owners that were more compliant um, had a better uh, success, as well as the owners that went ahead and just said, no more pasture. Um, completely took that avenue away, because that really is sort of unregulated. I can weigh out, right, here's my hay, here's your, you know, five pounds, but I know a horse that, you know, give them 20 minutes, they'll say, challenge accepted.
1: (laughs) No, and that's the very good point. You just can't say, well, I need to cut the diet, so I'll I'll reduce them to a quarter of the amount of time on pasture, because they'll eat four times as fast. And so it is a problem. If you have a dry lot, that's a great place to put them so that they can go out. Just because the grass doesn't look good to your eye doesn't mean it's not full of calories. And so you can't just say, well, that's the pretty green pasture and that's the ugly pasture. I'll put them out on the brown ugly pasture. You really need a dry lot if you're going to completely restrict. But I think it is compliance, and I think it's hard to do. And I think the best thing is to think of it as a group program so whether you come up with some facebook friends who have horses that need to lose weight and you all report in um, so it's team weight loss that helps whether you report to your veterinarian um, other people in the barn whether you just post every week a big picture of your horse with the current weight come up with something that works for you Um, but just doing it without some sort of accountability is is not probably going to be successful
0: yeah and i think owners probably have a lot of i mean i guess owners across whatever dogs cats horses have some guilt right with restricting Uh, feed they're like no 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 they won't like me anymore
1: absolutely yeah there there's certainly the guilt we love through food um and there's also um you know trying to use food as a behavioral modifier so well i need to feed grain or my horse won't come up out of the pasture you know that kind of approach as well. So there, there are problems, and that's why I think it's great if you can do this in a group, so that you can be reporting in and share some ideas what might work for one person or another. And your horse is still going to love you, and your dog is still going to love you, even if you cut their diet. So and exercise can fill some of that hole. So if you can, just even if all you do is go for a bit of walk around with your horse. Um, that's going to help keep them occupied and thinking a little bit less about food.
0: Yeah, and, you know, that idea of um, food is love or the horse won't come and see you, um, I know my horses will come running, and if I just put a handful of grain in there, they still are going to come running. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think it's a trick.
1: I think that's (laughs) using smarts. (laughs) Yes, they're they're ever optimistic (laughs) that you may have broken down and brought them a big bucket this time. But, yes, so certainly... um, If you have a horse that is overweight, uh, true grain shouldn't even be in their diet.
0: So a few, um, I'm gonna give a few other little tips for folks that um, Dr. McFarland talked about accountability and, and really tracking progress um because for most horse owners if you're like oh you weigh them they're going to roll their eyes um, and say well that's that's not possible but we have lots of clever ways um, the ways that we measure horses and can use phone apps and things that actually can allow you to have some tangible results and you don't have to go buy a livestock scale in order
1: to do this absolutely weight tapes and doesn't matter if whatever you're using doesn't matter if it's accurate you just need to see change and so um, weight tapes, body condition scoring, um, neck scores, um, and then as you said, there's a number of different feed companies. If you look on their website, they give you all kinds of ways to, um, to measure and um, record weights on your horses. So talk to your vet, you can um, get any of these apps. don't know if I'm supposed to name names of companies or not, but um, Perina certainly is one of the companies that has a lot of resources on their uh, website. So you can use all of those, and again, I am a big advocate of Not just measuring things, but measuring and writing them down. And I would, if I had a horse that I was trying to get weight off of, I'd have, just like I might have their health charts by their stalls, I would have their weight charts by their stalls so that I can look back and say, well, look at that. Two months ago, the horse was weighing 1150 on weight tape, and now it's weighing 1050 so it looks like we've lost about 100 pounds and that is going to be the best inspiration for you plus your horse will start feeling better and so I think again it doesn't count unless you record it so go ahead and do those measurements but keep track of them and it is something that's not gonna happen really really fast it's not like the feet look a little bad and you get the farrier out and now they look beautiful it's going to take some time to lose weight you're not trying to take three years of weight gain off in three weeks it's a long haul and that's one of the hard parts of compliance is you really have to get in it for the long haul. And so that's why keeping records will make you feel good when you can look back to where you started and see hopefully that you've been good about being um, strict with the diet and good with the exercise and have in fact helped that horse lose weight.
0: Now what if we have done this and we're successful and we've got our horse a little bit more lean again and he's back down to a, a body condition score of five does this animal then ever get to have grass again in pasture or do we always have to stay really tightly
1: controlled and regulated on them it's going to it's going to depend a little bit on the horse and the level of exercise and how much calories they're burning Um, some horses some of those really predisposed horses really don't get to go back out on pasture Um, many of them can go back out um, perhaps in muzzles, um, perhaps just short pieces of time. Some of them, if you have, were misfeeding in other parts of your diet, once you get the weight off, you may be able to get the advice of somebody um, in nutrition to help you um, to be able to let the horse be back out. But unfortunately, if we live someplace that's pretty good at growing some nice grass, and it can be difficult to have these horses out on full grass. I mean, if you think back to what these horses did originally, they ate and they ran 90% of the day, and then they sleep 10%. And in order to get enough to eat, there were miles and miles and miles of travel that had to happen. It wasn't stay in your two to five acre lot and there the grass will be. You had to really burn some calories and do some exercise to get a full meal. And so if you also are changing the amount of exercise the horse is having, that is going to then reflect how you're going to be feeding them as well.
0: Yeah, and for a lot of owners, I mean, we sometimes take a lot of on how green we can get those pastures to be and we're always I mean we teach people all the time we'll use rotation and all these strategies to get maximal grass
1: growth but for our obese horses that's not really helping right and I mean there's plenty of horses that do great on that kind of pasture these this is not advice for every single horse but if you have the horse that's going to founder once to twice a year routinely then that may not be a horse that does well on ever back on full pasture. Okay. Are there any other um, tips that owners should be aware of
0: as we're entering into the grass growing season and preventing lameness in our horses?
1: So I do think if you have a horse that you know is high risk and you're going to make all these diet changes, one of the things you might want to consider is whether or not to get baseline radiographs of the feet because often there are some changes in your horse's feet that you don't even realize. They may have already been having trouble with laminitis. As we said, it's not always the most obvious lameness that these horses get when they founder because of hormones. You should be watching the growth rings on your horse's hoof. If you look on the, um, the lateral or medial, so the outside or the inside of the heel of the hoof, if the growth rings widen as they go towards the back part of the foot, that tells you that there is a differential growth from the front to the back of the foot and that is evidence of laminitis. You can pivot that horse um, frequently and see if they're comfortable pivoting. You can also tap on the horse, it's called percussion, and if when you tap on that foot, um, they they pull it back, you can use like a um, farrier hammer is a good thing to use for that. If you tap on it and they um, seem more painful then normal horses do, then that's an indication that you may have some inflammation. So all of those things are early signs, because what you want to do is catch this before it gets very far, because if you catch it when it's just a little bit owie, you may be able to put that horse on um, a management that will help them to prevent from um, either rotating or sinking, which is the problems that become much more difficult to manage.
0: Well, um, that is some great advice, and I really appreciate your time and trying to help us through a very actually complex topic, and one that we don't have all the answers for yet. So I'm uh, planning on revisiting so that I get the answer of why (laughs) regional fat is the problem and I want to know the mechanism. And whether or not liposuction
1: (laughs) is the answer, yes. That study has not been done yet. Well, again, I really appreciate your
0: time with us today, Dr. McFarland, and we'll put some links and some more information um, in the show notes for owners that may be dealing with laminitis or strategies on how to reduce uh, weight in their horse. So that has been our Tack Box Talk, Four Stories
1: with a Purpose. Thanks. Thanks, bye.